able to that, and it didn't record, but last week uh, we were talking about some things that we all don't want to hear. No one, oh, oh, yeah, I got one amen. It was, it really was. We're talking about the discipline of prayer and fasting even, and how God wants to use that in our life so that we were talking about um, laying aside, are you with me? The physical material in order to gain the spiritual. Did, did you catch that? All right, let, let's, let's absorb this now. Because now I want to take a couple of weeks and hone in on that aspect that's a word that we really don't like, and it's discipline. And you remember how Jesus kept saying, you know, all these guys, all you guys, you're giving, and you're doing stuff that is good stuff. In Matthew chapter 6, you're giving, and you're doing it to be seen of people. And I want to tell you, you've got your reward. And those of you who are praying, you're praying so other people hear you and see you and think, oh, how spiritual you are. Well, you got your reward. And even those who are fasting and you look all pitiful and all of that, so people are like, oh, wow, how spiritual they are. Well, you got your reward. And that's it. The only reward you're going to get is people are going to see you, and you might be impressing shallow people like yourself, but God's not impressed. And so he wants to show us the pathway to a greater reward. Amen? In our lives. Okay, so here we go. Uh, we're going to start today with a battle within. So find Romans chapter 7. And we're going to read some of this. can be very confusing if you don't get into it properly. Uh, Romans chapter 7. Find that. And we're going to read it here in just, just a moment. By the way, there are study notes online. Uh, if you're on our Facebook, our church Facebook page, there's a link there. If you're on your YouVersion app, uh, you can just go to your menu, events, find Hartville Mo or your location in there. Um, I don't ever have my locator on unless I absolutely need it because I think that's how they track us. Now, I'm not paranoid. I'm just saying that. Okay, so uh, what I want to do is talk about this battle because would anyone agree that discipline is a battle? But this is something God wants to use in our lives. A lot of us are not crazy about that word. It is a gift and a tool that God wants to use so he can open the door to greater strength and greater blessings in our life. Now, who wouldn't be interested in that? Whoa, come on. Who wouldn't be interested in greater blessings and greater strength? But wait, there's more. Okay. But it takes more than just being excited, as we're going to see. But at least that can be a start. Okay. We're talking about discipline to fulfill our destiny that he has for us. Discipline to fulfill the destiny that he has and become all that God intends for us to be. And I have to confess, I myself do not feel like that I have received all and that I am all that God really has in mind for me to be and would like to help me be. So where's the problem? Is it with God? We like to blame God and everybody else, but it's really not with God. It's with me. So a lot of times we have really, I think most of us, I would say 100% of this group right here, I don't know about who might be watching online. You never know about those folks. But anyway, pretty much everybody here, I think we all have good intentions, right? I mean, but we really want to be good people. We really want to change, but we find it difficult to make lasting changes. We do good for a little while, then it's just kind of back and forth, 
And I don't think anybody here would say, nah, I would rather just be a failure. Anybody want to just say, yeah, that's what I want in my life. I want to just be a miserable, low-down failure. Nobody says that, unless they're, like, really messed up, okay? Then they probably have other problems. But, um, I mean, I don't want to be defeated. Huh? I don't want to go around defeated. Most of them say, I don't want to have a bad marriage. I don't want to be a bad parent. I, I, I don't want to be unhealthy and not take care of myself. I don't want to have financial ruin in my life. Most of us would say that. And most of us, I think, would actually, we want to be a blessing to other people. We really think that. So if you're a Christian, here's what we know. We're supposed to be good. That's pretty basic, isn't it? Um, we're supposed to honor God. We're, we're supposed to help other people and serve other people and love other people. We're not supposed to be bad. Uh, we're not supposed to lie and cheat and steal. We're supposed to read the Bible and pray and be nice, serve others, be generous. We're not supposed to yell at people in the store parking lot. <laughs> or, how about this, post malicious and negative things on social media for the whole world to see just because we're upset at somebody or don't like something. A lot of head nodding. You can say amen if you feel led. We're not supposed to cuss and yell at our kids all the time. We're not supposed to let sinful desires overwhelm us and overwhelm our waning willpower. It seems to wear out, but sometimes we do. It happens. We don't want it to happen, but sometimes it happens. Okay. God wants us to have the ability, the, okay, the ability, there's this ability that he gave us. He created in us, and that ability is part of our soul made in his image that is mind, will, and emotions. It is an ability to make decisions, to make choices. And he wants us to, he wants to utilize that in our life so that we choose to submit our will to his will. And to yield our control of self to the Holy Spirit's control of ourself. It involves that word, though, discipline. I always bring this up, I know, because this helps me. It's just like it's not going to happen except by the power of God. I can't transform myself. But just like when Jesus healed people, just like when Peter and John were going to the temple and healed that lame guy, and he told him, remember Jesus told the guy that had never walked, uh, do you want to walk? Well, <laughs> duh, Jesus, <laughs> I'm sure he does. But do you really want this? Because if you really want this and you really get this, then you just can't lay around expecting people to help you. You need to get up and start helping others. And I find that some people want to get up and walk, but they don't want to do nothing. They don't want to help anybody. So why shouldn't he just leave you laying there? Right? Now you might need to get a job and actually be a blessing to someone else. But he said, do you want to get up? He said, get up. 
Jesus asked him to do something that he couldn't do. And I don't know, it doesn't detail this, but in my mind, I just see that happening as the guy believes Jesus and tries to do something that he knows he can't do, but Jesus said he could do. When he tried to do what he knew he couldn't do, I think it's at that moment that his legs changed and the healing came and his legs that had been shriveled up turned, changed right in front of everybody's eyes and he he got up. So Jesus told him to do something. It's going to be the power of God to make this happen. But if you don't try to get up, it ain't going to happen. So there's a, there's a part that I'm responsible for and that you're responsible for is what we're saying here. And that's discipline. So God wants to use it. So what is discipline? What are we talking about? Okay, real simple. Are you ready? This is in your notes. But this is just one definition that turned out to be a lot darker than what I thought it would be. But I hope you can see it. Can you see it? It's choosing what you want most. Over what you want now. Many of us sacrifice what we really want most because of what we want right now. Okay? Our culture isn't very good with delayed gratification. Because advertising and everything else is geared more toward instant total gratification is what they call it. Uh, So maybe discipline is not as required in our culture and in our time as maybe it used to be. Um, if you got some kind of discomfort in your flesh, we've got quick, easy solutions for 1999. I mean, you can get any miracle, anything, just 1999, right, on TV. Anyway, if, you, if, if you've got hunger or thirst, we, there's something, we have an abundance of food and water available that some people in the world don't have. If you've got some kind of pain, people used to just have to work through and suffer through. Guess what? We have medicine now that can hopefully uh, make the pain go away or so you don't have to suffer so badly. I mean, it is probably easier to be in bondage to our flesh now and our fleshly appetites that we talked about last week now than it ever was before. Um, We've got more comfortable beds, air conditioned and heating, and we've got, we can sleep. And if you can't sleep, we've got pills you can take to help you sleep even. So maybe discipline's not something we're just very good at these days. And uh, that muscle, like you don't use it, you lose it. We're not very disciplined in, in, in other areas of our life either. I mean, even after being saved, total transformation may not come automatically or immediately. Just like I prayed and asked God to help me, and everything just started going perfect. And I, my attitude changed. Everything just, I just, you know, I still had maybe even more struggles than I had before. How about you? So how's this going to happen in our lives? Uh, there's this struggle between the old nature and the new nature, the new creation that I'm supposed to be in Christ. And, and, and there might be some things from which we are miraculously and instantly delivered. But I found that most things involve a struggle. And that struggle where I'm learning and I'm growing is where God teaches me. If He delivered me from every one of my weaknesses and problems automatically, I probably wouldn't learn a thing. But it's through that process that He molds me and shapes me and teaches me and forms me into the image of His Son. And that's an ongoing thing. And He probably has a lot more work to do on me than many of you. But I'm just glad He never gives up. Now, can you believe that Paul, the great Apostle Paul, also had this struggle? I mean, he had struggles before he came to know Christ. But, but he changes tenses in this chapter of chapter 7 
And uh, this is something that he said he had to deal with. You'd be surprised. How many of us have these struggles? You don't, yeah, you can raise your hand. You just get into this, okay? Listen to Paul if you think that you're the only one. And we're going to pick up in verse 15, Romans chapter 7. He says, for, and I'm reading in the ESV. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it the, the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. So he's talking about there's a part of me that there's really nothing good. He says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Can I get a witness from anybody on that? Thank you, Paul, for being real. Now, verse 20 says, now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but i got to face this fact. It's sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight, this is me, listen to this. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That's there in my, my soul, my spirit, mind, will, and emotions. There's that part of me. I delight, I want to please God. Verse 22, but I see in my members, that is, in the different parts of me, I see another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive or in bondage to the law of sin that dwells, that also dwells in my members. Then he says in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this, this part of me? This, he calls it the body of death. And then verse 25 is the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the answer. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, and this is all the flesh can do, is I serve the law of sin. Now this is just setting us up for the answer that he goes into in chapter 8 of the solution to all of this. But here's what I want to find out. For, and we're going to probably take about two or three weeks to go through different aspects of this. So I hope that you hang in there with us and pray and God help us. Amen. Because I want to learn this and I want it to impact my life. I don't want to just talk about it. I want it to do something. Amen. All right. So here's one thing that I'm finding out is, is you need to have passion. You need to have desire. Right. But here's what we find out is desire is not enough. It's not enough. There's an intense battle. You see that in verse 15 between two parts of us that still struggle for control. He says, I do not understand my own actions sometimes. Amen. Amen. That word understand is the Greek gnosto, which, which has to do with knowledge and understanding. I don't understand it. I don't get it. So even after being saved and being born again, trusting Christ by faith for salvation based upon what he did on the cross and the power of his resurrection, even after that and 
And, and the Bible says when you're saved, you pass from spiritual death to spiritual life, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Even after passing from death to life and after becoming, remember 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Remember that? Even after that, Peter tells us that we become a partaker of the divine nature. Well, what about my old nature? What about that old me? Is it gone? I'm not going to let technology get in our way. He's supposed to help us not get in the way. Is it gone? What about that old nature? Is it gone? Huh? Are you, are you made perfect? I better preach fast before this one wears out. Let's go. <laughs> if it is, then why do I keep struggling like I am? So here's the deal. We have this new life in Christ, but we still live, even though you're a new cre creation in Christ, you're a new person in Christ, you pass from death to life, we still live in this sin-cursed flesh and in a sin-cursed world. If you read back in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned, there was a curse came upon this whole heavens and earth, right? Things don't work perfectly like they were created to. Sin brought corruption and, and dysfunction, and the flesh was cursed. And we've all inherited that nature from Adam and Eve. And so as Paul explores this struggle, his object isn't to give anybody the idea that we're to be a split personality, you know, just as long as in my mind I want to be good, you know, I just can't be good, so it's okay. That's not what he's saying. If you understand this properly, it'll show you a pathway to victory. Now, the intentions that Paul describes are, are always very good. I mean, it's, it's not that Paul's committing some blatant, gross sin here. I mean, he doesn't really tell us what he's struggling with, except maybe a clue is in this chapter when he's talking about the struggle with the law and all of those commands and rules. The only thing he talks about is in uh, verse 7 when he mentions uh, covetousness. Um, he said the whole purpose of the law was to expose sin. But the law only gives us the rules. It doesn't give us the power to keep the rule. And he said, I wouldn't have been aware. I thought I was doing all right. But then the law come along and said, you shall not covet. And see, sin seized that opportunity and produced death in me and showed me that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I can't make it to heaven on my own. I, I, I began to realize that I can't be good enough or do good enough to equal the perfection that God desires because he's perfect God. So um, he's not so much describing willful wrongdoings as the failure of his results to match his good intentions. I had good intentions. And see, covetousness, if it is that he's got on his mind, it's one of those inside jobs. Because all the other, like of the Ten Commandments, you can pretty much look at somebody and watch them, and you can kind of, yep, cross that out, cross it. They did that, they did that, they did that, they did that. But when it says, you shall not covet, covet something that happened. Now, it'll show on the outside, but it happens on the inside. I can't see you coveting in your heart. And that's what that command is unique because that's what it's about. It's about something you do in your thoughts and in your heart. And so he may have think, I'm, I'm pretty perfect, but then all of a sudden that come up and he realized, no, I'm not. I realize I need help. My good intentions don't match the results that I'm getting. And the fact is, in verse 16, he goes on to say, 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. The law is good. The law, it's not the law's fault. It just exposes the fact that I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm not doing what God wants me to do. The law exposes it, but it doesn't have the power to deliver me. So I may be, here's what we like to do. We like to compare ourselves with other people all the time, don't we? Well, how I'm doing, I just start looking and comparing myself to other people. And, and that's one reason we like to run other people down and drag them down because it makes us look better. But the thing is, is that's not what God says he does in judgment. He's not going to compare you with other people. When I compare myself with the perfection of God, I realize I fall short and I despair. That's what Paul's doing here. Sinful thoughts will come. Hmm? And if I, if I go around and try to say, I'm not going to think a bad thought, I'm not going to think a bad thought, I'm not going to think a bad thought, my last thought was bad thought. So when you try not to think about it, you're already thinking about it because you're trying not to think about it. It's kind of a futile exercise, is it not? Huh. So uh, Luther said this, you live in this world, in a sin-cursed world, sin-cursed body, evil thoughts are going to come. Just like you can't keep birds from flying over your head. But here's what he said. Evil thoughts should be like the birds that fly over our heads. It's one thing for them to fly over, but it's another to let them make a nest in your hair. Right? See? So passion and desire are important. Paul says, I have a desire. I am passionate. I have intentions to do what is right, but the results don't follow. Our desires, our desires alone our intentions and our desires alone do not determine who we become. Verse 18, that's what he's saying. Um, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh part. I have a desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. So desire isn't enough. Desires don't determine what you do. Disciplines determine what you actually end up doing. Just hoping for a better life doesn't bring a better life. Just hoping it. New habits that honor God will bring a better life. And I want to explore this area of how God actually enables us to grow as disciples and have discipline that delivers us from the body of death. Woo! Can't believe I just said that. I actually have it written down. I'm going to say it again, I think. I feel it coming back on. <laughs> God enables us to grow as disciples and have discipline that delivers us from this body of death. That's what he wants to do. So he's going to expose the weakness that we have because we need to know we have it. All right? So weakness is exposed, this weakness within, even after salvation, that flesh nature, that sin nature that the Bible talks about. We don't have time to go explore in chapter 5 and other places of Romans where he talks about that sin nature that we have. Now, I wish I could say that we could live life totally free from struggles. But you know better than that. You know that from the birth to the grave, life is filled with struggles and with battles and with disappointments. I mean, you just think about it, even in our physical life, in order to try to stay healthy and fit, uh, we've got to constantly deny our urges to just be lazy and eat all the wrong stuff and all the wrong amounts all the time. It takes discipline. Um, I've got to deny my natural tendency is toward laziness. 
right? That's, that's what I naturally would do. So it takes a little discipline just to keep going. If you're going to try to exercise, you just don't, you know, there's a lot of days during lunch I would rather just eat something and take a nap, but there's some days I actually exercise that ability to choose and say, I'm going to wait on that, and I'm just going to do a little exercise here. You know, since I'm a pastor and I don't do real work, you know, I have to do exercise, right? You know, right, right, right. But growing up on a farm and, you know, busy being, doing, you know, I, I have to do things physically. It helps my mind, and, but, but the discipline is, is, is tough at times because, you know, the body just wants to goof off and, and, and be lazy. So as humans, we like to take the path of least resistance, right? Just, just go the easy way, you know? You know, I know I need to get out there and do this, but that recliner looks pretty lonesome over there, right? Right? Uh, mentally and emotionally, we've got to have discipline. Uh, to, to maybe, maybe some of us more than others, we have to have discipline to focus on the task and to keep the right attitudes, I mean, there's something within us from the very beginning that pulls us in all the wrong directions. It's that sin nature. It's that body of death that, that, that Paul's talking about here. You know, you don't have to teach a baby how to, how to be selfish, how to lie. You don't teach any of my kids or grandkids how to lie. They figured it out really fast. Did you do that? No. I'll never forget one of them whom I will not name. It wasn't Seth, but uh, he's the only one that's here today. But they, they, they have, the hunk of the hair had gotten cut out in kindergarten. Did you cut your hair? No. Some of it is missing. How did that happen? Did you or someone cut it? No. Just cannot rat ourselves out. Just can't do it. Um, so anyway... Yeah, you don't have to teach that. And some people say, well, that's just instinct. That's just instinct that evolved. No, 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 no. Animals, you know, kill and do stuff for survival. But I never saw growing up on a dairy farm, you know, the cows being out in the pasture. And um, Gertrude, did you see the new ear tag that Elsie has? She thinks she's just so much better than the rest of us. And, and, and she always is the first one to the trough. And, and you ever notice how she is? I don't think she's a cow. I think she's a hog. Uh, you know. And they get all the cows stirred up against each. I never saw them do that. <laughs> but I've seen people do stuff like that, right? It's because we've got that in us. In fact, concerning sin, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, we've all done it. All have sinned, and all of us miss the mark. All of us fall short of the glory of God, the perfection of God. So guess what? He's not measuring against each other. It's against the perfection of God, and every one of us are sinners. All of us are in the same boat. We all need his help. We have that sinful nature passed down from Adam and Eve. After they sinned, as I said, the flesh was cursed, the earth was cursed. And that's why our natural tendency leads us away from God instead of toward him. Listen to what Paul says over here in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. He's quoting Old Testament here, by the way, where he says, it is written. So that's a hint right there. He's quoting Old Testament. None is righteous. No, not even one. None of us. On our own. No one understands. No one really even seeks after God. You wouldn't seek after him if he didn't draw you. So God takes that initiative. He says, for all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Well, I thought I kind of did. No, you don't. Even when you try to do good, you're doing it for selfish motives. We need help, don't we? We need something to happen in our lives. 
And so now we've got the weakness exposed, don't we? So let's, uh, let's look at this. Here's what happens in our lives. We just try and we try and we try. But if I'm just trying harder, I've got to try harder. Well, I've sinned. Well, I finally, the law jumps up. Yep, you're a sinner. You've done wrong. So I'm going to come down. Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry and all that. I'm going to try harder. And so that's what I do. I realize I'm bad. I'm doing bad. I found this illustration. I think it works. I try hard. Well, I try harder and I try harder. But guess what? My willpower weakens. Willpower only takes you so far <laughs> because willpower is kind of like a muscle I mean after a while you get wore down you know it's just like donuts we have just a simple example and many of you see me a lot of times you know we have like some fellowship time some coffee and donuts at 8 30 you're welcome to show up anybody wants to but if everybody shows up you got to let us know because we need more donuts but anyway uh, we kind of enjoy that time of fellowship but you see me a lot of times I'll go in there have my favorite donut I will take a knife and I'll cut it in half I'm just going to eat half of this I always come back and eat the other half. Always. Except one day, I cut it in half. And I think Brittany Boyer came along and you ate the other half of my donut. And I was so upset. It just threw my whole day off. So now, I'm just like, okay, that's not a battle that's that important. I'm just going to take the whole thing. I even got to, I got to hang out with the teen class today. And I just enjoyed that so much going through our lesson, which is kind of our, our, our lesson, D6 classes. So the parents and, and students and everybody kind of on the same lesson. So like, and they even have Bible readings. They have like, we have like books you can take home and have devotionals. I've got an app that you can pull it up on and you can read these verses and do something amazing. You can even talk about it at home among yourselves. Instead of just one time a week, talk about it when you're not together in different classes. I think if we just do that, it would be amazing. Okay, well, anyway, it's just, just a little thought there. But anyway, you know, we're talking about thinking like Jesus, having our minds transformed, right? Right? D6 classes, yeah? That's it. And um, so this is why, but even willpower is not enough because our willpower wears out. We'll do okay for a while, but after a while, man, that donut is talking to me, and I might do good this week, but after a while, it's like, forget it, Right? So you do good, you do bad. So willpower weakens, and then you fail. And then what? Guilt and shame. Oh, woe is me. I messed up. And then so guess what? I'm going to try harder. I'll try harder again. I do okay for a while. I go back through the cycle, and it just keeps happening. So we need something to, to take place in our lives. And, and so we're going to start talking about the strength that is expressed. That's what Paul's trying to get us to. So coming to God by faith, it involves submission. So when you come to God, the only way you can come to him is by grace through faith you are saved. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. So the way we receive God's grace, that's what God has done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves through Christ. The way you receive that is by faith. That is not just believing it's real, but by trusting, submitting, and relying upon him completely not my own works not my own goodness but I'm relying upon Jesus's works and Jesus's goodness and Jesus's payment for my sins on the cross and Jesus's resurrection to transform me I'm trusting totally in that so you submit I submit that I can't do it I bow myself and I trust him completely for salvation but now then this is followed by discipline on our part to make decisions by the same faith. So I make a decision that he gave me the right to make to receive Christ or reject him. To trust him or not trust him. God made you in his image. And part of being made in that image is mind, will, and emotion. A big part of that. He gave you a will. An ability to make choices that the rest of creation, the animals, don't have. They operate on instinct. You use that 
to choose to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. That same will you still have, even after you've been saved, to continue to choose to make decisions by faith in obedience to what He has said. And when we do that, it releases the presence and the power of God to begin to transform, like our Sunday school lesson, Romans chapter 12, verses 1-2, right? Like it talks about, to begin to transform, metamorphosize our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions. Watch this. When our actions are transformed, our attitudes are transformed. Our actions are transformed. Our actions are transformed. So transform thoughts and attitudes, change our actions. Changed actions change outcomes. You're not going to have a different outcome until you have different action. You're not going to have different action until you have a different attitude. See where it starts? We want an outcome to change, but we're not changing no attitude or any of our actions. So you're going to keep getting, you're going to keep reaping what you're sowing. We'll come back to that another time. So we have to confess we don't have the strength within ourselves. That's what Paul's saying here. God must transform us with his power. He made us in his image. And so uh, he gives us the ability to make that choice that we're going to trust him for that. So since his relationship with us is based on love, he's not going to force this on us. So we have constantly have to exercise our will so that I yield to the spirit of God to lead me and not yield my will to be led by that flesh part of me. That sinful part of me. Part of the problem with living to satisfy the desires of the flesh is the more we try to satisfy the flesh, the less we're able to do it. As the appetite increases, our ability to satisfy that appetite decreases. It's that way with addictions. It's that way with drugs. It requires more and more and more to bring up the results. And as that gap gets bigger, the, it's called the law of diminishing returns until it just drives you nuts. Discipline is choosing with God's help what you want most over what you just want right now. And so let's get to victory here and wrap this up, all right? Let's do it. Because uh, he talks about how we can find victory. The real me versus the old me. So he clarifies this in verse 18 when we were reading it. You may have noticed it. He said, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, in that part of me. So he's talking about in my inner man, I delight to do, in, in my mind, I delight to do the will of God, but in my flesh, nothing's good. So there's still something there. Even though I'm a new person in Christ, I'm still living in this sin-cursed flesh, and attached to it is a sinful nature that I have a battle with, that I have a struggle with. We're still waiting on perfection. In fact, in chapter 8, verse 23, he talks about the redemption of our body. Now, in my spirit, I've been made alive in Christ when I was saved justified. Amen. And in my mind, will, and emotions, I'm continually growing into Christ likeness. That's what this is about. And that's called sanctification. But there's coming another stage called glorification whenever he takes us out of this world. And one of these days we're going to have a resurrected body. We're going to be made perfect body, soul, and spirit. That's what we got. And he said that day's coming. Even the creation, this creation is going to be judged and destroyed. And God talks about the new heavens and the new earth. Even he says creation's groaning for this very thing. So this is the thing that, that, that he's talking about, this part of our deliverance that you got with salvation that's yet to come. And we're yearning for that, aren't we? That perfection. All right. So Paul's object is to show that there's another dynamic that has been introduced. And we're going to see that in chapter 8. 
And he's talking about after salvation, the very presence of God, the very power of God, the Spirit of God comes inside. Another dynamic. The body, flesh is still dead. Look at Romans 8.10. So you got your Bibles out there. Use them, okay? <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 10. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin physically, flesh and blood is, are not, is not going to inherit the kingdom of God, right? You're either going to die and you're going to lay it aside, or if you're alive when Christ comes back, it's going to be changed. You know that. He says the, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus's. So I've been made alive spiritually. So there's really nothing in my fleshly nature that, that it can contribute to my salvation. There's not one good thing about it, Paul said in verse 18 of chapter 7. By, by the mind and, and, and when he talks about in the inward man that we read about, uh, he's talking about that as opposed to the flesh part of me. Um, and he amplifies this. When you get into chapter 8, verse 5, he says this. Look at it. Please, says chapter 8, verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, they've yielded their will to the desires of that flesh nature. They set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit or yield their will to the Holy Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Hallelujah. Amen. That is right. Um, so even in, in verse 8, he says, those who are in the flesh can't please God. So that's why he says with my, in, in verse 25, he says, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That's all the flesh can do. You can't pound the flesh into the image of Christ. What happens to it? See, the inward man may delight in the law of God, but the old nature delights in breaking the law of God. No wonder we're trying to live under the law and just by rules, we can never measure up and we get worn out. By the way, when he says, oh, wretched man that I am, I'm in bondage. And this is a bondage of a struggle. That word wretched in the original Greek, it indicates a person who is worn out and exhausted after a battle. That's what that word means, I'm worn out. What could be more wretched than exerting all of your energy to try to live a good life, only to discover that the best that you can do still isn't good enough? The body of death refers to that flesh, its sinful nature, and we're crying out for deliverance. And then he gives the answer in verse 25. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He met, oh, oh man, I couldn't meet that righteous requirement of perfection, right? I've already blown it so many times. Probably even today. You guys look so holy out there. I guess in all your thoughts and attitudes, you're exactly like the Lord. No, I know you're not. I've been around you enough. I know you're not. Listen to this. Listen to this. Verse 4 of chapter 8. Uh, verse 3. So we couldn't do it in the flesh, but look at this. Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh... Could not do. How did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Guess what Jesus did? Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. He lived perfectly. He kept the law on our behalf. That's what he says next. In order, verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. He fulfilled it for us. So when we trust him and we're in Christ, Christ did what we couldn't do. He kept and he fulfilled the righteous requirement 
of the law on our behalf. So there's hope for my sorry self now. Amen. And there's another part of this. Who, who uh, walk or live not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. This is the key for this actually starting to realize itself in your life. And, and to, to surface in your actions is that you're led by the Spirit, not by your fleshly nature. One of these days, that fleshly nature is going to be gone. And we're going to be forever perfect in heaven. But while you're here on earth, you're going to have to battle with a sin-cursed flesh nature. And you're going to have to battle with a sin-cursed world around you. And sinners that you have to live around. So we're going to need help. And that help is in the presence of God and the Spirit of God. Because we can now live in the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner person, in our inner self, which controls the outer self. What controls my outer self? It's my inner self. The mind, will, and emotions. So whenever the Lord's in control there. So it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. What happens to that body of flesh? What can we do with it? You can't redeem it. You can't make it into the image of Christ. What do we do with it? Look at verse first. Verse 13 of, of chapter 8. Verse 13. In verse 12 he says, We're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You don't owe the flesh anything. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's all you'll get is death. If you're just going to live to satisfy yourself, you're just going to get death. But listen to this. Are you listening? I can't read it till I know you're listening. Are you listening? But if by the Spirit, it means by His power, you put to death the deeds of the body or the flesh, you will live. So the flesh has to be crucified. I die to self so I can live in Christ. That's the power that he wants to bring into us. So this is the same conflict, by the way, as we wrap this up that Paul mentions later on when he's writing to the Galatians. Remember, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, he says this, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You ever experienced that? You know, what, you know what we're talking about? The desires of the flesh. I still have this. Is against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you really want to do because I really want to do good. But desire is not enough. It's going to take something else. It's going to take the power of God. How am I going to have the power of God then if it's available? How come I don't always have it? Well, he's one. Oh, let's back up. He's explaining something that he's already said. We need to have it explained to us. In verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. That means to live by the Spirit. You yield control of how you're going to live to the way God wants to live and to the power that he wants to give you. And when you yield yourself, you won't be bondage to that fleshly nature. That's how. It's like there's a toggle switch in your mind. Remember, I've given this illustration before. You ever see a spring-loaded toggle switch? It's like spring-loaded to off, and, 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 and you, you have to push it up and hold it. Because if you let go of it, it's spring-loaded, it'll turn off. You hold it up, and whatever you're doing runs, and you let go of it. Well, our mind is like a spring-loaded toggle switch that's wired toward the things of the flesh. We've had a lot of training of just living for the flesh. When we get saved, we're given a new life in Christ. But guess what? That thing in our mind is still wired toward the flesh. And what happens over time is the Holy Spirit begins to rework it 
and rewire it so that it's spring-loaded toward the things of the Spirit. As you grow as a Christian, all of a sudden, see, now, now once I get saved, boy, it took a little bit of effort, you know, to, 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 to yield myself to the Holy Spirit and to, to walk according to the Word of God. I had to put a little pressure there constantly. But as I grew in Christ, guess what? Something amazing happened. The Holy Spirit helped rewire that, so now it's spring-loaded toward the things of the Spirit. So my, my, my thing that I want to do now, that, that, that as time goes by, I most naturally want to yield myself uh, and walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Now, I can still, in a moment when I'm upset with somebody, I can st- or whatever, I can still push that thing back to the flesh, right? I can still get upset. I can still get upset at some of those balls that were being called strikes the other night. You know what I'm saying? That's a robbery. And, you know, uh, so anyway, um, uh, you know, you can, you, can, you can still push it back to the flesh, but it should be as we're growing that it becomes to where it's more, more uh, likely that we're going to yield to the Spirit because that's what we've started getting in the habit of doing and breaking the cycle of just trying harder and feeling guilty and failing. And so I got a new chart for you. As I belong to Jesus, you need to realize your identity, who I am. I'm no longer just in the flesh. I'm in Christ. And Christ has already fulfilled that righteous requirement of the law on my behalf. And he's not only given me his word to read, but his presence to actually be in me to help me understand and help me apply what I've read. See, you can read Confucius, but Confucius isn't here to help you understand and keep it. You can read Mohammed, but he's not here to help you, to enter into you, to help you understand and to keep. But when you read the Word of God and you have Christ in your heart, the very author of that Word is living in you to help you illuminate your understanding and to help you have the ability to keep what he says. That's a powerful thing. So I need to know who I am. I belong to Christ. I'm in Christ. And now I depend on the Spirit. I'm dependent on His power. And that builds my faith. And as my faith is built, I discipline myself to choose what I want most more than what I just want right now. And when I make that choice to yield my will to His will, I walk in the Spirit. And it builds my faith. And that empowers right actions. And when I'm walking obediently to God and living the way He said, guess what? All of life works better, even during the tough times. And then as that happens, I grow closer to God. And as I'm growing closer to God, it makes me want to depend more on His power and yield more. And as I do that, my faith keeps growing. And as that happens, I'm depending on Him more. And my actions continue to be empowered. And then as that happens, I still get even closer. And it just keeps going. And I keep growing. And I don't have to be in bondage. And I have that greater reward because something's happening on the inside of me that's beginning to make its way on the outside. And that flesh part of me is still a battle, but guess what? It's defeated. There's a new sheriff in town. There's a new power in town. There was a time when the flesh controlled my thoughts and my attitudes and my actions, but guess what? There's somebody new in charge now, and I can make the decision of which way I want to go. It's like an airplane sitting on the runway. The force holding it down is gravity. But as it takes off, another force takes over. That overpowers the force of gravity called the force of aerodynamics. And as the air goes around its body and the wings just right, it creates a lift. And it lifts above and it looks like it's defying gravity. But where's gravity? It's still there. It's still pulling down, but it's being overpowered. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. As we have the discipline to yield our will to His will, is that the flesh may still be there. That sin nature might still be there. But it doesn't have to control you. The Spirit of God can control you, but it's up to you. There's nothing wrong with him. It's my decision. 
Don't say God can't change you, God can't use you. Maybe you've never really trusted him. Maybe when he said get up, you just didn't even try. You just said, well, you stand me up. Jesus said, get up. The lame man got up. And he said, hey, that mat, that old nasty thing you've been laying on, fold it up and get it out of here. And he did it. Some of us would just lay. We want to get up. We imagine that happening, but we'd rather honestly just lay there and wallow in all of our disgustingness than when he says, get up, to believe that he's going to make it happen and make the decision to trust him and start to move. God's waiting on you to move. You're waiting on God to just fix everything. God says, I'm waiting on you to make a move and trust me. Pray with me now. Father, help us, Lord, as we just digest this. And I'm going to have to take all week to do it. But help us to digest this and apply it to our lives and, um, and, and, and keep going deeper into it, Lord, to learn how we can better serve you. And, Lord, we know when we do this that one of the fruits of the Spirit that happened that you produce in our life, one of them is self-control. I need that, Lord. So, uh, Father, help us to just realize that you've made all this available for it. You went to a lot of trouble for our salvation and to make your word available and your presence to be in us. But, Lord, you're not going to just make us like puppets that we have to choose to obey. We have to choose to just submit our will to your will. And when we do that, then you supply the power. Help us to not short-circuit that process. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would stand and